0: Open your Bibles to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. I've entitled my message, Can You Hear Me Now? Can you hear me now? Do you remember the Verizon cell phone commercial from a few years ago where the roaming cell phone tester went to more and more outlandish places? to see if he could get and receive or send calls, get signal. Amazingly, everywhere he went on the Verizon network, he could get the phone call. He was always saying, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Verizon, of course, was trying to communicate that if you're on their network, if you have their cell phone coverage, that you'll never be out of touch, that you'll never be out of service. That's kind of the truth that we find in John chapter 10, verses 27 and 28. The assurance that's communicated to every believer by Jesus Christ, that will always be able to hear his voice. He will never be out of touch to us. In John chapter 10, Jesus compares himself to a shepherd. Now, that was a word picture that was very real and uh, clear in the first century world in Israel, but probably not so clear to us. Probably many people here have never even met a shepherd or maybe even seen a flock of sheep like you would see in Wyoming or maybe even in the mountains here in Colorado. But a shepherd was a commonplace occupation in that day. Everybody knew a shepherd protected his sheep, provided for his sheep. And so Jesus uses that metaphor, that analogy to communicate some truth to his disciples, and to us here today. Being compared to sheep, that's what he compares us to. I kind of wish he'd compare us to stallions or eagles or maybe lions, but he doesn't because it wouldn't be appropriate. He compares us to sheep, which means as Christians, we are very dependent upon the shepherd. All of us understand, I think, how dependent sheep are upon a shepherd. Matter of fact, they say if it wasn't for shepherds, sheep would go out of existence because they can't fend for themselves. If it wasn't for men watching over sheep, there would be no sheep because they're so utterly dependent. And Christians are completely dependent upon the shepherd. Jesus promises eternal life. And that hopefully is something that you have, you possess. It's a gift, he tells us in this passage. But Jesus promises eternal life based upon your response to three statements he makes in these two verses. Let's read these two verses. John chapter 10, verses 27 and 28. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man snatch them, pluck them out of my hand. The picture you know well. Jesus is holding on to the salvation. He's holding on and giving assurance to every true believer. And no one can take that assurance or that eternal life away from them. Let's break these two verses down. And if you're new with us here today, we're in a a series right now called Great New Testament Text. Every one of the verses that I've been preaching on in the last several weeks and the next few weeks, probably up to Easter, are very familiar verses. Probably verses that many people here learned in Sunday school as a child growing up or Awana or something like that. They're very familiar verses. And they're very familiar because they're great text. They contain great truth that we have been examining each week. So can you hear me now? First of all, the first statement is true Christians are attentive. True Christians are attentive. My sheep hear my voice. They listen to God. They listen to Christ. True Christians are attentive from a human standpoint. Us looking at this truth from a human standpoint, we become sheep by believing. But from the divine standpoint, we believe because we're sheep. We believe the Lord because we're sheep. The lost sinner knows nothing about divine election that the Bible describes. Lost sinners know nothing about divine election. He simply hears the gospel, repents of his sin, and believes on the Lord and is given eternal life. Then, as he grows in his Christian life, he realizes the Bible says that he was chosen before the foundation of the world. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. He learns that truth. That's why you've heard me say, it's not original with me. On the gate of heaven, it says on the front side, whosoever will." And so we cross over and then we get inside heaven. We look back and it says, elect before the foundation of the world. They're both truth. They're both taught in the word of God. We see them in the Bible. In the Bible, divine election and human responsibility are in perfect balance. As we often say at weddings, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. And we shouldn't with those truths either. We shouldn't try and bifurcate them or separate them. They're both true. We trust and act upon them. Notice what Jesus says. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. Now in Jesus's day, shepherds were in very close contact with their sheep. They lived with them. They were always together. A shepherd didn't go on vacation and leave the sheep by themselves. He provided for them food and water. He bandaged their wounds. He cleaned their coat. He even gave them names. Matter of fact, in the ancient world, in the Middle Eastern world, a shepherd would take his sheep into a sheepfold. We would call it a pen, but they called it a sheepfold. It was usually a rock Uh, circumference around an area. And sometimes the rock wall would be five feet high or six feet high or maybe even higher. It was to keep uh, predators out. And the shepherd would lay down at the opening. There wasn't a gate necessarily. That's why Jesus says, I am the door. If you want eternal life, you'll enter through me. If you want to become a sheep, you're going to enter through Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The shepherd would lay down in the doorway to keep out the the lion or or the bear or the, the wolf that would try and come in, there, or even a thief that would try and come in and take away one of the sheep or more than one of the sheep. But shepherds often shared a sheepfold. They would often be one, two, three, or more, depending on the size of the sheepfold. And so they would drive their sheep in there or lead their sheep in there. Butchers drive their sheep. Shepherds lead their sheep. They would lead their sheep into the sheepfold. One of the shepherds would sleep in front of the doorway. And in the morning, they would begin to go out and the shepherd would call his sheep by name. Every sheep could recognize his shepherd's voice. Sheep cannot see very well at all. Matter of fact, sheep can be grazing by the side of a cliff, and they're so nearsighted, they will fall off the cliff. Their eyesight is poor. So it isn't a matter that they would recognize their shepherd, but they could recognize his voice very well. Even if he didn't call their name, he would use some kind of a signal to call the sheep and the sheep would come to this shepherd, the sheep that belonged to another shepherd would go to that shepherd, and they would lead them all in different directions. Hearing the voice of the shepherd was critical to staying alive if you were a sheep. They had poor eyesight, they didn't smell well, (laughs) And you can take that a couple of ways, but they could hear well, and they could recognize the voice of their shepherd. There are a lot of voices crying out to you today and to me. There's the voice of self that says, go this way. We want this. Do this. There's the voice of other men crying out to us seeking to have us fulfill their desires and their dreams. There's the voice of Satan in our world that's whispering to us all the time. So there are many voices calling out to us. But if you're God's sheep, if you're a believer, you need to listen to the voice of our shepherd, Jesus Christ. And of course, we listen to the voice of the shepherd through his word. That's how we're going to hear God's voice to us. So let me ask you, are you attentive to the voice of your Savior, your Shepherd? Do you listen to what he has to say? Are you availing yourself? Can the Holy Spirit easily direct you with internal nudgings because you're impressionable and moldable, maybe we would say, and you're listening to the Holy Spirit as he uses the word of God to direct your path. We sometimes say to our kids, are you listening to me? Maybe I'm the only one that's done that. Are you listening to me? Your eyes are open. I don't think there's anything in yours, but you don't seem to be responding. Are you listening to me? I wonder if God feels that way with us. Are you listening to me, or are you just doing your own thing, going your own way? One of the ways that we can answer that is, are we spending time in the Word? Because if we're not, we're not listening to God's voice. We're not attentive. So number one, I see true Christians are attentive. My sheep hear my voice. Number two, true Christians are obedient. The next phrase goes on to say, and they follow me. They not only hear, they respond. And they follow me. They are obedient. True Christians are obedient. That statement may be truer of sheep than any other domesticated animal. As I've said, sheep are very helpless. But very early in their life, they are able to distinguish the voice of their shepherd, and they lock in on that because it means survival for them. And they form a very strong bond with their shepherd. Sheep cannot make it on their own. They can't. They can't find water. They can't find good pasture. Sheep can't make it on their own. They tend to wander away, get caught in thickets because of their wool, their fur coat. They get stuck. They can't defend themselves. Even thinking about a sheep defending himself, is kind of a funny word picture in your mind. Sheep don't do karate sheep don't have any natural they they're not ravenous they're not predators they can't defend themselves they are 100% prey if they're not with a shepherd they're very very vulnerable animals they tend to wander they require constant protection guidance and food but sheep can be productive in the right circumstances with a shepherd sheep can be productive they produce milk for cheese and other things. They produce, of course, wool, which has been used really since the history of mankind. They, of course, produce meat that's used around the world. But sheep are ceremonially clean, and so that made them very valuable in. Israel because of the sacrificial system. That's why there were shepherds keeping their sheep on the night in which Jesus was born. And the shepherds were out there on the cold hillsides of the wintertime because there was a constant need for sheep and lamb in the sacrificial system because there were many sacrifices a day. Many lambs and sheep died every day in the temple sacrificial system. So we can make the application that, yeah, we're, we're vulnerable and, and we're helpless and, and we need a shepherd, but, but we have value in God's sight. God loves us and he can use us. David, the shepherd king, and he was. He was a shepherd before he became king. Said in Psalm 23, as we read earlier, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I don't need anybody else. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He's going to take care of all my needs. In other words, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. You know, sheep can't drink from rushing water. They have to have a very settled body of water, a still brook, or they won't drink from it. They're easily scared. Remember Jesus is talking about sheep. He's talking about true believers in other words in this section of scripture. Not counterfeits. Not counterfeit sheep, but true sheep. The Bible tells us that the dog returns to its vomit, that the pig returns to its sty, the mud pit. It says in 2nd Peter chapter 2 verses 20 through 22. False professors who claim to have Christ, who claim to be Christian. False professors talk about their faith or even their works, but true Christians, true possessors of the faith, God says their obedience is a mark of a true disciple. It's not talk, it's really obedience is the mark of a true disciple. They follow me. Now, what does that mean? That means that we can never get off track in our Christian experience. We can never sin. We can never backslide. We can never wander away from God. That's not what it's saying. It's not describing sinless perfection, as some groups would maybe even proclaim. If if you're not living sinlessly, then you've lost your salvation. You need to get resaved. That's contrary to all of the New Testament, as you probably know. It's not talking about sinless perfection. It's talking about a natural inclination, and there's a difference. Sinners will just follow after sin, but Christians will sometimes wander off and get into sin or disobey God, but their natural inclination is to get back with the Lord. It's not talking about sinless perfection. It's talking about natural inclination that we want to obey the Lord. We fall short of his desires for us. We fall short of our own goals as a Christian many times, but our natural inclination is to please God with our life. So we have to stop and say, is that true of me? Is that my heartbeat? Is that my longing to please the Lord? John one twelve says, But as many as received him, Jesus Christ, To them gave he the right, the power, it says. To them gave he the right, the authority, to become the children of God to them who believe on his name. God grants salvation in response to us believing on him and obeying him. And once you're in the family, and this is a a text of security. Once you're in the family, you're not booted out of the family. Once you're in the sheepfold, once you're a part of the flock, you're not dismissed and excommunicated or disciplined out. This is a verse of assurance. Once you're in the family of God, you will always be a member. You don't have to be worried about being booted out of the flock. Let me ask you, are you desirous of keeping Christ's commands Are you seeking to follow the shepherd? Can you say I want to know what the Bible says. I want to apply it correctly in this New Testament era this church age. I want to know what God's will is for my life so I can do it. Because true Christians are obedient. Yes they're listening to the voice of God but they're obeying the voice of God as well. Third I see true Christians are secure. That's kind of the telos, the end point of of where I'm going in this message. True Christians are secure. The security of God's sheep is assured in several ways. Of course, this verse says, and I give unto them eternal life. It's a gift. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man steal them away. Nobody, Satan, nor man can ever steal away the salvation that belongs to a true convert, a true Christian. The security of God's sheep is assured in several ways. First, by definition. He gives us eternal life. It doesn't say he gives us conditional life. If we meet the conditions, then we're going to be saved forever. No. Once we accept Jesus Christ, we have eternal life starting now. We tend to think of eternal life when we get to heaven. But that's not the Bible definition. It's not talking about duration. It's talking about a quality of life. We receive this quality of life that will extend throughout eternity. And we receive it now. God doesn't give it and take it away. It's eternal. It can't be taken away. He makes covenant promises to us. So it's eternal life, not conditional life, if we're completely obedient and sinlessly perfected. By definition, eternal life means that it's secure. Second, this life is a gift. It's not something we've earned or that we somehow merit On our own, it is a gift. And you've heard me say, I think I said it in Sunday school this morning, salvation is monergistic. Mono, one, just the work. Salvation is the work of one. It comes from God. We don't do anything to merit or earn our salvation. Now, Sanctification is synergistic. We work with God. We read our Bible. We go to church. We pray. We witness. We practice the Christian disciplines and we grow. But salvation is monergistic, not synergistic. It's not like we're doing something and God's doing something. God does it all. We just receive it because it's a gift. And it's described over and over that way as a gift from God. Not something we earn or even deserve. If we were not saved by our good works, but by his grace, that means that we cannot be lost or lose our salvation by our bad works. If we're saved by grace, we can't be lost by our works or our failings. Romans chapter 11 verse 6 says that very thing. Even more, Jesus gave us his promise that his sheep would not perish, and the promises of God are yea and amen, and they cannot be broken, the Bible says. He gives us a promise that we will turn from our sin and trust what Jesus accomplished on the cross. We can have eternal life. We will never, ever perish. Matter of fact, Romans, Paul says it this way, Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, for I am persuaded, Paul is saying, I am absolutely convinced by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he writes it down in the word of God. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, angels nor principalities or power, that's talking about angelic beings that have fallen, angels nor principalities or powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul is saying there's nothing, and he uses almost every term he can think of to describe that nothing can keep us separated from the love of God once we've received Jesus Christ as our Savior. That is security. That is assurance. And God wants us to have assurance. Assurance. He doesn't want us to be wondering and doubting and questioning if we're his child or if we have eternal life. Said before, sometimes when we get really convinced of something, we sell people on it. We do. There's some things I'm really big on that I think are healthy. One of them is the sauna. There's a few people in our church who've been over to our house, and I show them my sauna. You know, it, it penetrates an inch and a half into your skin. It's a, not a wet sauna. It's an infrared sauna. And you can sweat 400 calories in 40 minutes. And I sit on a towel, and I mop myself, and I drink a big thing of water, and I go over my sermon on a Saturday night in the sauna. And my paper's all wet, and I have to print a new one. But I'm, I'm big on a sauna. You sweat out your toxins. They say it even, it can kill uh, a blood-borne pathogens. They say it because it raises your body temperature so high that it can kill cancer cells. So I'm big on saunas. And some of you have heard me do the pitch, and now you've got one. And I don't get any commission. <laughs> okay? But... When we're sold on something, we're convinced of something, we tell other people about it. When we're sold that we're going to heaven, when we're assured that God's our Savior and that heaven's our eternal home, we're going to talk about it because we believe it. We're sold on it. But if you're always wondering, well, I hope I make it, but jeez, I don't know, I'm not that good of a Christian. I, I hope so, I hope so. You're just not going to talk about the Lord. You're not going to talk about salvation because it's a question in your own mind. God wants us to have assurance. There are few assurances in this life. There's no guarantee that your children are going to be healthy all their life. There's no guarantee that your marriage is going to make it to old age. There's no guarantee that you're going to have a job next week. There's a lot of things that we don't have assurance about that we don't any guarantees about but there are some absolute unshakable guarantees with god and this is one of them you may miss out on some opportunities in life and probably all of us at a certain age say should have bought that stocker should have done that or whatever we may miss out on some opportunities in life that's just part of being human and not having omniscience so we may miss out on some opportunities in this life but don't miss out on the opportunity of the next life don't miss out on the opportunity of going to heaven don't miss out on the opportunity of having assurance of your salvation because god is offering it to you The phrase, look at it again, this passage, the phrase, shall never perish. The commentators point out that this is the strongest affirmations in the Greek language. Literally translated, literally translated from the Greek. It says this, they will indeed never, ever perish. God couldn't have said it any clearer. Jesus couldn't have said it any clearer than that. They shall never, ever perish indeed. So as sheep, we have a threefold relationship with our Savior. Stop and think with me. We have a threefold relationship with Jesus, our Savior. The good shepherd has a threefold relationship with the sheep. He has a loving relationship because he died for them. You don't die for those that you don't love. So we have a loving relationship with our Shepherd. Second, we have a living relationship because he cares for them. God has said he will take care of every one of our needs. He cares for us. So we have a living relationship with him. Third, we have a lasting relationship with our shepherd because he keeps them. And Jesus says in another passage, and not one of them will be lost. Not one of them will be lost in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. Travel with me in your mind out to DIA, to the airport. Go to Concourse B, that's the United Concourse. Go to Gate 33. There will be 180 people there seated, waiting for a flight to Orlando. That sounds kind of good right now. That's why I picked it. I didn't pick Maine, by the way, where the Dukeshires were last week. (laughs) Who goes to Maine in February Unless your family lives there or close by, okay. We'll give them a pass. They're not completely nuts. 180 people are waiting for a flight to Orlando. The ticketed passengers are seated. Some are reading the paper. Some are looking on their phone. Some of them maybe even sleeping. But those who are flying standby, you know what they're doing? Because all of us probably have flown standby at some point. I hate it. They're walking around. They're pacing saying, oh, man, how many people ahead of me am I going to get on this flight? There looks like there's four other standby people. I'm probably number five or six. Or they're leaning on the gate desk and trying to schmooze it with, you know, the gate ladies, you know. Boy, I, I my mother's dying and I got to get to Orlando. And, you know, it's, boy, I'd, I'd really be indebted to you if I could get onto this standby, you know. Some of them are walking, some of them are schmoozing, some of them are probably praying, oh God, help me get on this. The only time they pray is when they're on standby. Oh God, help me get on this flight. What is the difference? The difference is confidence. 180 people got a a guaranteed no-so-seat assignment. Six or so don't. And they're worried. They're fretting because... When that plane is loaded, they're hoping they will get on it and be on their way, but they don't know if they're going to be on it. Listen, someday we're going to fly out of this world to our eternal destination And God wants you to have a signed seat. God wants you to have assurance all the way that you're living in this life, that you know that you're on your way to heaven, that you know the Savior is your shepherd. So if you don't know that, you're missing out on God's intentions for your life, even right now, as well as in eternity. So my prayer, my plead to you, my bequest to you is, if you're not sure, settle it today. And if you are sure, hey, we can rejoice. We can have a full confidence. We can say, it's not because of me. I'm not going to heaven because of something I did. It's because of my wonderful Savior, and I praise him for it. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you for the wonderful confidence that the word of God gives us about eternal life. For some of us, we had no assurance of salvation. Matter of fact, I remember saying to my college roommate, you're so arrogant that you think that you're going to heaven. What makes you think that you go to heaven? But there's a world of difference between arrogance because we think that we're good enough and assurance because we're trusting in what Christ did. So we thank you that you can give to us, every one of us, a biblical assurance that heaven is our home and that you're our shepherd, our savior. If there's someone here that doesn't have that confidence, Lord, may we be able to help them. You know that's why, at least in part, we exist as a church. And then, Lord, for those of us who are saved, may we just be so thrilled and excited and confident that we want everyone that we know to know Jesus Christ and that we'll spread the good news about our shepherd and savior we ask in Jesus name amen